Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Aquaphoenix Scientific. Aquaphoenix, a manufacturer of test kits, reagents, and chemical feed and control equipment. Additionally, they are a distributor of thousands of products for top industry brands for the industrial water treatment market, making them the true one source for literally anything you might need. Folks, how many purchase orders do you need to write in order to get everything you need for your field test kit? Well, with Aquaphoenix, that is just one call to them, one purchase order, one shipment, and you can have everything you need from all the different manufacturers. Give the fine folks at Aquaphoenix a call today or visit them by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash APS. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And Nation, last week we crossed the 250 episode barrier. A quarter to a thousand, just so many milestones. We just recently celebrated our fifth anniversary We're also celebrating that we are in so many countries. People all over the world are listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. The Scaling Up Nation, of course, you, the listener of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, you are growing in numbers and that's happening because you are sharing with your fellow water treaters, with your friends, with your family, that we have a podcast just for us. And so many people have told me that they have gotten into this industry because they listened to a podcast that somebody recommended they listen to to see if this was something they wanted to become a member of. If they wanted to become a part of the water treatment community, part of the water treatment workforce. So I'm so glad you guys are using these episodes as you see fit to help bring the right people into our water treatment community to make sure that you're hiring the right person, that they're getting good information about what it is that we do. Because let's face it, unless you're born into this industry, nobody has any idea what it is that we do. And even if we find somebody with some water experience, most of our industry is so niche it doesn't necessarily translate 100%. So we're using all the resources that we can, and I love that so many of you out there are using the Scaling Up H2O podcast as one of those resources. And we have well over 250 episodes out there for you to use. So many people have called in or left me a voicemail or written into the show and let me know what one of those 250 episodes needed to be about. Of course, I'm not going to stop just because we're five years into this and we're 250 episodes in. I need your help. I need for you to tell me what you want to hear on this podcast. Who is the next person you want me 
to interview, that's the only way we're going to be able to keep bringing this show to you is for you to let me know that valuable information. Super easy to do that. Go to scalinguph2o.com and then you can go over to our show ideas page and you can type up whatever you want me to know on that or I'll make it even easier for you. When you go to the scalinguph2o.com webpage, you will see a pop-up on the right-hand side that says leave voicemail. On your device, you can record your voice telling me whatever you want to tell me. And if you ask me a question, there's a good chance that I will play that on the air. And that's actually what we're gonna do today. I don't have a voice for you, but I do have a question from some listeners. We're going to be answering those questions. But before we do, here's a brand new Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about nitrite corrosion inhibition. How does nitrite inhibit corrosion? Does oxygen have a role? What if nitrite is underfed? What could happen and why? What if nitrite is overfed? What could happen and why? How might microbiological activity impact nitrite levels and corrosion? Protecting a water system against corrosion is more than just running pinks and blues. It's about understanding the chemistry behind the scenes and what factors may positively and negatively impact it. Take this week to think about nitrite and how it inhibits corrosion. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Nation, a couple of events that you might want to check out. I mentioned that we have so many people listening to us all over the world. One of the items that's coming up is the Aquatech Trade Show in China. That's going to be June 8th through 10th. And that's hosted by the Water Quality Association. And that's going to be exhibitors and all sorts of people coming to talk to you about the prospects of the international markets when it comes to water. If you want to know more about that, you can go to our show notes page and we'll have everything that you want to know there. The Groundwater Association on June 21st through 22nd is having a conference on the fate of PFAS. This is taking place in Westerville, Ohio, and if you want to learn more about this, simply go to our show notes page and we will have all of that information for you. Something coming up that the Scaling Up Nation is going to do together to get awareness out for how many kilometers that people have to walk in countries that do not have a fresh water source right at their door they have to walk six kilometers on average. So Team World Vision every year holds a global 6K for awareness around this. And then they use that awareness and they use proceeds to change villages all over the world. And we, the Scaling Up Nation, are going to be a part of it. On May 21st, you can walk, run, crawl, whatever, 
in a 6K, why a 6K? Again, that's the average amount of walking that people have to do to and from their water source to bring water back to their home. Well, we're gonna do that to bring awareness. And if you wanna learn more information about that, that's just next weekend, so you still have time to sign up, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K to learn some more about that. We interviewed Reed Hutchinson on episode 236, and he's been involved with the World Vision team for years. He was the one that let me know about this, and now I'm the one that's letting you know about this so we can have a little bit of fun while we're taking care of this such valuable cause. Also, we're trying to raise some funds for Team World Vision to help with this. So if that's something you want to contribute to, you can also do that at scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K. So Nation, next week when you're in the 6K, I want you to post on social media, hashtag ScalingUpH2O so we can all share in your experience. We'll know that we're a part of a community and we are doing something to help the betterment of our fellow man. And how great would it be if in our lifetime, we ended the global water crisis? Nation, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a show that we call Pinks and Blues. Pinks and Blues is a name that, I don't know, somebody that was in our field 100 years ago was calling running tests. So when you run tests, people say, hey, I'm running Pinks and Blues. That's the color that most of those tests change. Some of the tests change. So we affectionately call episodes like this where we are answering your questions that you have asked by going to scalinguph2o.com right here on the air. And here we have a new water treater and they are asking, actually they're asking a lot of questions, but the main theme around all of their questions is how do they know how to diagnose when something's wrong? So they've gotten to an account, hopefully they've spoken with the customer and they figured out with the customer what's going on, what's new, what's the same, that the customer feels they're getting value by having you as their representative for your company. And they might share with you, yes, we had a leak. Uh, we installed this equipment or we're thinking about installing some new equipment. So what do you need to do in order to partner with that person to make sure they buy the right equipment? Maybe it's not the right metallurgy and they never even thought about the metallurgy. Maybe they haven't thought about a stainless steel basin because they're just replacing the cooling tower with the exact same type of cooling tower that's up on the roof now and they didn't give any consideration to some of the other things that we all are aware of. The type of construction, is there sunlight going into it? Can we redesign something or use another type of design? So a problem that we have to deal with on a regular basis is now mechanically engineered out. Don't just assume that the representative who's selling the cooling tower is doing all of that. Help your customers make better decisions by giving them more information. And by the way, all we're doing is saying hello here. I haven't gotten past the fact that we just knocked on the door and somebody welcomed us into their facility. 
and we're just catching up with them. So there's a whole bunch that we need to know before we start talking to the equipment. And I'm willing to bet in our day-to-day, it's very easy to skip step one, where we are talking to the customer and finding out things that are going to make it faster in the long run, because now we understand what's going on since we've been there last. Now we are aware of a particular issue since we've been there last, and now our antennae go up and we are able to start looking for products of that issue. Now we're going to go ahead and go into wherever the mechanical room is, and you're probably going to start running your tests now. Nope, do not do that. There is so much information that you do not have, and you need that information before you even open your test kit. Just like you tried to find as much information as you could from your customer, you're now going to do that with the equipment. Put your test kit down, make sure it's in a safe location, put it off to the side, and now walk around. Have a conversation with the equipment. If it's a chiller, look at the chiller. Has everything the same as you remember it? Maybe go into the user interface. See if all the readouts that you can see on that machine are normal. Do you notice that maybe the approach temperature is a little bit higher? Do you notice that maybe the load is a little bit higher or maybe it's a little bit less than it was last time? Maybe you're looking at the power consumption and you're tracking that and you're seeing if they're using more or less power than they did during the last visit. Or more importantly, this same time last year. That tells you a whole bunch of information. Go over, look at the cooling tower. What is the cooling tower operation water level like? Is it too high? Is it too low? Does it look like everything is flowing properly? Do you see any signs of biological activity outside of normal? What are all the things that you need to observe so you can now better diagnose? Maybe it's a boiler. You're looking at the flame. Does the flame look good? Does it have that nice color? Does it have a bluish tint to it and not a real yellowy tint? A lot of times that means that it needs to be tuned up and there are too many byproducts that are being flung off that flame, making a soot issue. Well, if they're using more gas because there's insulation in soot and that's got to go through the soot in order to get through the pipe to heat the water to create the steam, the first thing that most people blame that own boilers is the water treater. Well, folks, if you've got a dirty flame, that has nothing to do with water treatment, but it has everything to do with you noticing it. And that's the value that we want to make sure that our customers know that we are not just looking at the things that we are directly responsible for. We're actually the mouthpiece. We are the faithful translator of that equipment to the people that own the equipment. And when in doubt, blame the water treater. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that. When people don't understand all the things that are going on, they typically blame the person that's in there each and every month. And in this specific case, it wasn't anything to do with water treatment at all. It was a dirty flame and soot is more insulative than scale. 
So let your customer know, hey, it looks like you need to get this boiler tuned up. Or maybe we even have the conversation. When was the last time you had your boiler tuned up? When was the last time you brushed the tubes? When did have you gotten all the soot out? When have you done your last boiler inspection? Now, most likely there's going to be a sticker on the boiler that tells you that inspection. And folks, typically those are done every year. So if it's around the same month where that inspection is, is due, you want to talk to that customer and say, hey, I want to be here when you open up that boiler. I want to see inside just like the inspector does. The inspector is there looking for safety. I am here looking for efficiency. Now, when the chiller gets inspected and, and cleaned, that's really when the customer decides to do it. So hopefully you are on their list to call when they do that. Hopefully they give you some notice. But again, all this stuff we are looking at, we have never gotten into our test kit yet. Let's go over to our control equipment. Does everything look like it's operating properly? Maybe it's not. Maybe our conductivity is too high. Maybe it's too low. This is all great information for you to start figuring out what you think is going on in that system so you can now test with that in mind. And maybe you now run a couple of other tests or maybe you can even run some fewer tests because you now have information about the system you don't have to run the normal 15 tests that you normally run. You see that the conductivity is very low. Well, why am I going to test all these different parameters when I know the conductivity is low and most likely all of the things I test is going to be low? Maybe I figure out why it's low, I make that adjustment, and then I just do some spot checks to see that my adjustment is actually putting it back into range. So I can actually save a lot of time by doing something that seems like we're spending more time than we have to, but with better knowledge, we're able to execute better. We're able to do the things that we need to do that really count during that service. So the person that wrote in, they want to know how they go about doing that. So I hope the things that I mentioned so far, which is just simply asking questions and getting information. Most people, again, one more time I'll say it because I see it happen so many times, they go straight for their test and they blindly start testing. You should have an idea of every value that you are going to get as a result of something you test before you test it. And the only way you can do that is by getting information from your customer and getting information from your equipment. Now, let's say the situation I just described is what you find. You find that either on a cooling tower, on a boiler, you have low conductivity. As I said before, why would you waste all your time doing all of your normal tests when you can suspect that all of those are going to be low? How do I know all the different things that you put into the boiler or the cooling tower are going to be low? Because your concentration levels are low. That's reflected in your conductivity Every time water concentrates, the conductivity goes up and also everything concentrates that you put in that machine. 
If it's not concentrating up, you're going to see the conductivity at a lower range than what you have it set for. And that's going to indicate that one or all of your parameters that you're going to check for are going to be low. So now I'm going to go into troubleshooting after I've tested and I've confirmed that, yes, that is actually going on. What do I mean by that? Maybe the probe is out of calibration. Maybe the probe is dirty. Maybe everything in the system isn't as bad as we think or the controller thinks that it is, and we need to fix a piece of equipment. So the first thing I like to do when I am interviewing the control equipment is I always check flow. I wanna make sure that it's in a good line of flow and it's getting good flow, and then I start checking calibration. Are the readings that it is giving me the actual readings that I know are correct? And how do I know they're correct? Well, a couple of ways. Minimum, every week I calibrate all my meters. I need to be able to count on my meters and I make sure that they are always kept clean. They are always kept hydrated. A lot of the probes that have a solution inside a glass bulb, those will dry out if we don't take care of them. We take care of them by putting a specific solution in the reservoir to make sure that they don't dry out. And we never want to put water in there because that can actually force the juice that's inside the probe to transmit outside of the probe because nature loves balance and it's trying to balance the fact that there's more inside than there is outside. So don't do that. There's a reason that there's storage solutions out there. If you want to learn more about that, contact wherever you get your test equipment and supplies from. They will tell you all about that. And then also cleanliness. We make sure we clean our meters at least every week or as needed. If we have a dirty meter and whatever we're testing has to transmit through that dirt into whatever the probe is, we're not going to get a good reading. And if we calibrate off of a dirty probe, well, folks, that's not a good calibration because we're taking into account all the gunk that's on the probe and we're doing really what's called a false calibration. So make sure all your meters are clean, they are calibrated, and just in case, I have things to clean my meter in my test kit and I have all the standards so I can test for calibration or accuracy any time throughout my day. I want to do the same thing with the probes on the controller. If they are not reading what my meter says that they should be reading, first thing I want to do is I'm going to clean that and then I might put that into a standard solution. Or if I know whatever sample is and I know the conductivity or whatever I'm trying to test and I've got a good reading on that, I can use that solution. It depends if you do a one, two, or three-point calibration. Talk to your control manufacturers to learn more about that. We'll probably do a show someday about what the differences are. Today, just know that you want to keep things clean. You want to be able to trust them. And the way you trust them is to make sure that they are calibrated. If you need to calibrate something, follow the method that makes the most sense for you. 
And now you've got a calibrated and clean probe. You put that back in the system and it should measure exactly what your meter is reading. When I say exactly, it should be pretty darn close. And if it is, now you need to determine if that's in range or if it's not. If it is low, then did calibration fix it? Well, maybe it thought it was falsely high and it was calling for bleed when it didn't need to do that. Well, you just fixed that with the calibration. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe there's some other issue going on. Maybe the probe was not out of calibration. Never a bad idea to clean a probe every time you come across one. So you didn't do anything you shouldn't have done already. You're just starting the diagnosis process. Well, now let's go to how the controller is controlling the concentration, and that's with a valve. A valve that is letting high concentrated system water out so makeup can now come in and dilute the rest of the water in the system. Is that valve operating correctly? Maybe if it's low, it's stuck open. Maybe there's a piece of debris in there. You need to clean that out. You need to have somebody help you clean that out. If that happens often, maybe you should consider a different type of valve that's not as susceptible to whatever is getting clogged up in there. Maybe there is an electrical issue and there's a malfunction somewhere. How do you test that? Well, hopefully you have a multimeter in your kit and you can see that the wire is live when it's not supposed to be live. There's so many things that we do as industrial water treaters that are so far above and beyond just running pinks and blues. Now, if you don't know how to use a multimeter, I cannot think of a more underutilized tool that we have in our arsenal. Folks, go to YouTube, watch a couple of videos on how to use a multimeter. And when you have a multimeter and a controller issue and you call into the manufacturer, trust me, they will absolutely love you for having that piece of diagnostic equipment and they can guide you through the process of making sure everything is doing what it is supposed to be doing. If you don't have a multimeter, they're not going to be able to give you all the information that you need in order to fix the issue. So before we even leave, we're making sure we're having all the diagnostic equipment that we might need with us so we can utilize that. I was speaking about a boiler. Let's say it's a cooling tower. Let's say everything is fine. Everything's in calibration, but we're still seeing a low conductivity. So we walk out to the cooling tower. By the way, if you're not looking every single visit at the cooling tower, you're missing an opportunity for diagnostics. You go outside, you look at the cooling tower, and you see it's overflowing. Well, no wonder it's not concentrating up. It's overflowing. So now we have to figure out why that is going on. Is the valve not adjusted properly? Maybe the valve just floated off or just disintegrated. I've seen that happen before. Maybe there is a situation where when the tower shuts off, 
there's a large volume of water that overflows the tower. And there's a design issue going on with that. Maybe they have a sand filter, and thank goodness they have a sand filter. Every single cooling tower should have a sand filter, but maybe it's not set up right on backwash. Maybe it's backwashing too often. Maybe it's allowing too much water to be bled out of the system, and we're not able to concentrate up. I found one in my career where it was backwashing almost every two hours, way too much. By the way, when you backwash them too much, they're not as good as a filter. So if you have sand filters, and you should if you are dealing with cooling towers, make sure that you are working with the manufacturer of that filter so you understand how it works, how it needs to be set up, and now you've got a relationship with whomever is selling those devices. And when you have a problem, you can contact them just like when they have a question about water treatment, they can contact you. Again, all these things, we haven't opened up our test kit yet. Now, we're going to get a sample that we've looked at all of these items we have an idea what's going on in the system. We've interviewed the equipment. We've talked to the customer. We should now have an idea of what we should be testing for and what the results are. If the results are exactly what we think they are, then we have guaranteed that we know what's going on with the system. Now, maybe not everything is perfect, but we now know how to fix it because we know what's wrong. We're gonna talk about that in a second. However, if we have not formed that opinion and we're just running the test, what the heck are you going to do when those tests are not where they're supposed to be? That's telling you, you need more information. Don't run your test until you have an idea of what they're going to tell you. And if you don't have that figured out, it means you need to continue interviewing the equipment or asking more questions to the customer. Now, a lot of people in our industry have gotten a little lazy when it comes to testing. We have some incredible products out there that make our life easier but I don't think they should be replacing the things that we need to know about the system. Specifically, what I'm talking about are tracers. A tracer is something that we put into the system to determine how much of our product is diluted in the system. The one that comes to mind is peritoluene sulfonic acid, PTSA. In a cooling tower, and it might be fluorescein in a boiler, when we test for these, we have so many parts per billion, and we say we've got enough product in the system, we close our test kit, and we go about our day. No, don't do that. The only thing that that tracer is telling you is how much product fed and is now in that system. What it does not tell you, and the most important thing that you need to know is how much of the consumables that you have in your product that are doing all the work to make sure that you don't scale and you don't overly corrode the system, you have to know how much of those products are in there. 
So maybe that's phosphate, maybe that's molybdate, maybe that's nitrite, maybe that's sulfite. Whatever is in your product, you should by this time have understood what is in your product. Now your company has probably put out what's called data sheets. Now not safety data sheets, but technical data sheets. And this tells you what the dosage of your product is. This tells you what the control set points on your controller need to be. And it tells you when you run certain tests, what the parameters are between this and this is what you're going for with this particular test. And you know that it has maybe three things you need to test for. Whatever that is, that's in addition to whatever tracer that you are using. I'm going to say this again because I know people do it, but there's so many people that run out there and all they do is test the tracer level. If we have an upset in the system and all the consumables are getting used up, all the things that are in the product that actually do the work for what we're there to do, if they're not available in the system, it doesn't matter how much tracer is in the system. So we're testing for those things and then we are comparing them to what they should be on that technical data sheet. If the concentration level is low, we're going to expect that all of those are low. If the concentration level is high, we're going to expect that all of those are high. And we have to work with that first and fix why it's high or low before we can fix anything else. And normally if that's all that's going on with the system, once we fix that and everything else was set up correctly to begin with, most of those things will come back in line. You need to test for all the actives that are in your product. If you don't know your product well enough to know all the actives, then ask people you work with, show me the technical data sheets and let me know how you use them so I can start doing that as well. So we've got tracer, we have actives, and now we've got things that we test in the system to kind of see how those actives are doing. Something that comes to mind are some of the metals. Maybe we're testing for iron. Maybe we're testing for copper. Maybe we're testing for zinc. Maybe we're testing for aluminum. And typically when we are testing for this, we know what's coming in with the water, we know what that should concentrate up to, and now we're testing to make sure we don't have much more than what it should concentrate up to. Let's say we have 10 times more iron in the system than we should, that's telling us that we are getting a lot of iron for some reason. Now, what's the some reason? I don't know, I'm not there, maybe, our product's not working properly and we're corroding the system. Maybe they just added a piece of equipment and our customer didn't tell us about it or we didn't have that conversation in the very beginning with our customer and they said, oh yeah, there's a tenant loop over there and they just added a bunch of equipment. Well, all that equipment didn't get cleaned and then as they tapped into a very old line, they busted a lot of stuff loose and guess who has to deal with it? Now, not knowing that information, we have to figure out where that's coming from so you can see instantly 
by having a little extra time on the front end getting information, that makes our job easier. That makes our task a lot faster. We will have a quicker service putting more stuff up front, getting more information up front before we open our test kit. If that was the case and they said, yes, we just added something to a tenant loop, we now expect that we're going to see some crud. Yes, that's a water treatment term in the system because they didn't let us know about that. We didn't do a pre-cleaning and it's an older system. We then confirm that with the extra iron and now we can go to our customer exactly as I thought. We do have some higher corrosion byproducts in the system. So we need to run the concentration down a little bit lower to flush this out on purpose. Maybe it's a closed loop system. Maybe we need to flush that system. And now we need to add some cleaner to really get all that stuff out there. And then we need to flush the cleaner out. I don't know what kind of system it is, but I do know that the more information I have backed up by my test, I'm better able to diagnose and I'm much better able to prescribe. Now, as we're running those tests, maybe the conductivity is fine, but we're overfeeding or underfeeding those products. How would we know that? Well, everything that's on that technical data sheet is either elevated or it's suppressed. And we know that we need to make an adjustment on however that is getting fed. So to get back to the original question that a member of the Scaling Up Nation asked me, they said that they were relatively new to the water treatment industry and how can they test better? What should they be looking for? How can they run a better service? We started this entire episode by talking about doing the things that don't even involve your test kit. When we understand what's going on with the system by interviewing the person, by interviewing the equipment, that is the only time that we open up our test kit and now our tests actually make sense. Nation, I hope that this is helpful for you. Through better information, we are able to make better decisions and we're also able to be more efficient as we're making those decisions. If you didn't hear anything else from this episode, I hope that you hear this and I hope that you do this. If you do not know or have an idea of what the result of a test is that you have not yet run, you probably don't need to run it. What information are you missing that's going to unlock your knowledge of the system? Nation, thank you so much for sending in your questions. Thank you for that individual that sent in, it was about seven questions, and I tried to answer all of those within this podcast. If you have a question that you want me to answer on Scaling Up H2O, Go to scalinguph2o.com and let me know what that is. Nation, again, over 250 episodes. You and I have been together for over five years. I just think that that is amazing. I hope you are doing amazing things with your career, with your day-to-day. And I can't wait for you to tell me about those very things. So if you see me at an upcoming event, please let me know some of those items. 
I hope to see your post on social media about the 6K. So hashtag scaling up H2O Nation. Have a great week. One of the things I hear so often about the Rising Tide Mastermind is about how well the members in the Rising Tide Mastermind listen to other people. Folks, we are programmed to give quick advice even if we don't have all the information. Through the issue-solving track that we practice in the Rising Tide Mastermind, you will learn how to ask better questions so you can give better advice and that will shorten the road for whatever issue you're trying to solve. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.